podcast one production. Beloved Jessners, we <laughs> experienced an unanticipated audio disturbance halfway through the recording of this episode, and therefore you may notice that one Rosanna Waterland sounds a little uh, distant halfway through the episode, but we can assure you the audio will be restored before the tale is over. Thanks, Moira. <laughs> okay, that was good. Take it away, my dulcet turned Adonis. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> and welcome back, Gistners, for another episode of Just the Gist, a weekly-ish podcast where Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find worthy of bringing up at a dinner party at some point in the near or distant future. Uh, Rosie is recording from Adelaide this week. I am recording once again Hello. from far north Queensland. And we have a fantastic story to share with you this week. I am behind the wheel. I'm going to be telling you a really cool tale that takes place in North Carolina, set around 2007. Some of you might remember it because it did hit the headlines when a man bought the contents of a random storage unit and inside the unit was a barbecue grill and inside that barbecue grill was a mummified (sighs) human foot. Bodies. (laughs) Bodies. <laughs> yes. Ah! <laughs> I love me some body parts. And naturally that then continued to escalate and escalate and resulted in a massive dispute between the man who found the leg and the man who actually owned the leg. So I'm looking forward to telling you all about that. But before I do... <laughs> why, is the le- why is the leg valuable? Okay. Breaking news. Breaking news. I got the scoop. But see, extra, extra, read all about it. A breaking news. So, first off the bat, we've got to be honest that we're recording this the day after we recorded the last Mm. ep because Jacob's about to go to the ocean somewhere in far north Queensland and he's not going to have Wi Fi. So, rather than miss a week, which makes all of you very angry. <laughs> We're recording this a week early. So There's not welcome. a whole lot of breaking news since yesterday. I will say that um, after we finished recording and it was my first day of freedom from quarantine, I caught the bus. Ooh. I know, I felt so glamorous. And um, then I just caught the bus home <laughs> and went to the IGA and got some toilet paper. <laughs> And it was amazing. And on Caleb's and I's first night together in two months, I made him watch Selling Sunset. <laughs> so that's what we did. Um, Felix, I'd like you to play like some really sad music here. Like, I don't know, like kind of orchestral. I'm thinking like, think like Coldplay's Fix You, okay? <laughs> I want you to play this music. But we can't use that because I'm sure it costs a lot of money. <laughs> Just something like that. You're a DJ, Felix. Figure it out. So I've finally had to accept that my Apple Watch is gone. Oh, no. Oh. RIP Apple Watch. Oh. So I got my Apple Watch a couple months ago and I loved it so much. Jacob, how much did I love she it? She couldn't stop I would talk- raving about it. I yes. couldn't stop <laughs> I couldn't stop talking about it. I loved it so much. It was like 
my favorite thing. I was so excited about it. And the thing I was most excited about, because I do laps, the swimming laps for exercise, and I got it while the pools were still shut. And so I was most excited about pools reopening up so I could do laps with it. And oh my God, I loved it like a new child. I loved my Apple Watch so much. And then one day I went to put it on and I couldn't, I couldn't find it. And I was like, it's got to be somewhere in the house. So I didn't panic because I mean, I never take it off outside the house. I never take it off, period. Like it, that thing was like fused to my wrist. And um, then the next day I couldn't find it. And then the next day I couldn't find it. And then I thought, okay, well, when I pack to go to Caleb's, maybe I'll find it. That sad music better still be playing, Felix. This is the level of sadness. <laughs> I feel about losing my Apple Watch. I thought maybe I would find it when I was packing for Caleb's. Nope, couldn't find it. I looked everywhere. I turned my house upside down. And then Taylor, my little sister, has been um, staying there to feed Boo while I'm here before Boo could fly over. And I thought maybe Taylor would find it because, you know, sometimes you just need fresh eyes and they're like, oh, my God, it was literally in the middle of the coffee yeah. table. I was hoping for some, like, miracle yeah. like that. But I think I have to accept. R.I.P. Apple Watch. Oh. Uh, circa a few months ago till today. Oh, honey. Gone. I'm so sorry. I d- I'm, so- I'm actually about to oh. I love it so much. Isn't there a Find My Apple a- Watch app? Yes, but not once the battery's dead. Uh. And also, like, I I don't know. Well, I just, I don't know where it would be. And I'm devo. So... I, th- I feel like Fix You would be wrapping up right about now. <laughs> Let's will try to fix you. <laughs> Goodbye, Apple Watch, my love. Our time together was brief, but it was glorious. Goodbye. Get a new one. That's all my breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> there is it, man. I'm already paying for this one. Because oh. it goes on your... I know. Oh. So not... Oh, anyway... Devo. Wasn't meant to be. off you go. All right. Do you have any breaking news? Because that's all I've got. Well, I do, yes. Um, I'm a fully certified scuba diver now. I spent the last few days. What? Yeah. I've done all my training. (laughs) What? What? When did you do scuba? I didn't know this. Yeah, I started late last week and um, I, I don't know, I just haven't had the chance to tell you. I'm sorry. I'll send you some fantastic photos. It's been absolutely incredible. And I'm so lucky that I got the chance to do it when I did it because I did it with one of the very, very best providers. So if and when the world reopens and you want to learn how to scuba dive, highly recommend using Scuba IQ up here just outside of Port Douglas. The guy who runs the place, Martin, he's one of the best teachers. He knows so much about what goes on under the ocean and he has access to some of the best dive sites as well. It's honestly one of the best, best things that I've ever done. I can't believe you kept this from me. I know. I just feel so... Do I even know you anymore? (laughs) Who even are you? Whenever we would talk, I would feel really bad when you were in isolation to be like, well, I've been out exploring the Great Barrier Reef. (laughs) And so I just didn't have an um, easy way to segue into it. But now that you're free, I feel like I can tell you. You know what I'm like about sunshine and nature. And I will say I've been snorkeling in the Great Barrier Reef and... Didn't care for it. Wasn't that impressed. So (laughs) I get really seasick. 
So I got really sick because the boat, we took a boat that took like two hours to get out to where we were going or whatever, or an hour. And then we just kind of snorkeled around. I remember there was a giant clam, Mm -hmm. but like mostly I was terrified of sharks. And also um, I was really unimpressed. And I guess this is climate change that it was just kind of dull. There wasn't nice colors and it wasn't, it was just some like brown looking coral and a giant clam. Um, there are certainly tragic areas like that and most of that is in the inner reef, which is closest to the shoreline. So you really need mm. to go to the outer, outer reef, which means doing a, a full day. Um, and even out there, there are patches that have succumbed to mass bleaching and all that sort of stuff. OMG. Yeah. So I'm now going to do a just the gist about like some kind of scuba diving death or murder. Oh, great. Like, well, what about that one with that wife of that guy who... They think that he it was it went unsolved. Oh, what was, and it was in Australia, and there's a famous photo of her on the like ocean bed floor, and they think that he did something to her little oxygen tank or something to make her get the bends, oh. and then he like so he could make it look like she accidentally drowned, but people think that he really did it. Oh my God. There are people screaming into their headphones right now who know the name of what I'm talking about. And I probably just got a lot of details wrong, but hmm, yeah. Okay. I look forward to that. Um, By the way, I'm going to make this an enjoyable experience for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other thing that I've been dying to tell you about just to get your reaction for is I've crossed a threshold that I never thought that I would cross because I haven't eaten a land animal since I was 18 years (gasps) old, but I've started consuming cricket powder, which technically makes me an entomophagist. I have been eating cricket powder. Have you heard about this? From crickets. Yes, correct. The insects. That's right. Oh, you are so far up your own ass. <laughs> I hate it. What the? That, okay, first of all, that's not a land animal, so just put that to bed. Second of all, what kind of holistic, weird wellness thing are you convinced this powder does? <laughs> Please do tell, sir. I've heard about it for years, but I just wasn't ready to actually get on board. Um, but I decided mm-hmm. to just take the leap and give it a go because it's very high in iron and B12 and all sorts of different amino acids and vitamins sure. and blah, blah, blah. It's very, very sustainable and there's all sorts of reasons why it's like the... The protein of the future and so I decided to go ahead and give it a go and I was very curious what your read would be but I think I predicted it quite accurately. Uh, yeah look at my face. Are there any chunky bits no, in the powder? No. Like where is the powder come? Do they just literally crush up whole crickets? Yeah so they've got an organic farm, oh. they're all free range. <laughs> hey. No Oh, free range. What cricket isn't free range? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are there crickets in captivity? Are there? Well, I would hate to (laughs) think that there were battery crickets and I certainly wouldn't want to consume battery crickets. Also, they're only fed um, plants as opposed to animals and they're, you know, humanely looked after. Oh, my God. Can you please Run away and marry Pete Evans. <laughs> I, you knew that I, I was going to roll my eyes at the ridiculous of this more than I was going to be grossed out by the fact they're crickets. Yes, I did. 
Yeah. Anyway, I'm one of them. <laughs> I am one of them. He says as he chugs his 11 a.m. beer. Shush. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that's why you need the cricket powder. This is a bloody Maria, thank you very much. Have some respect. I'll get to the beer halfway through the episode. Um, and speaking of P- Pete Evans, I did actually try to watch Plandemic. Have you seen any oh, of it? Oh, God, no. Okay. I mean, it's no. absolutely ridiculous. And the way that it's all cut together, mm. it's just this bombardment of fact in inverted commas after fact oh, that yeah. it just sort of overwhelms you. So I can totally understand why people who are on board with that movement have actually just bought into it and they're promoting the mm. movie quite heavily. But the best entertainment comes from the fact that the guy who's put the movie together and edited it and did all the interviews has just made sure that he can wedge in as many noddies of himself when he's interviewing people. So the camera just keeps cutting back to him going... Him, like, going, mm, mm, yes. Mm. Oh, excellent point. And he's got, like, this... Which you know he fil- which you know he filmed at a separate time in front of a mirror to get his best angles. Absolutely, mm, yes. yes. He's got this slicked-back mm. grey hair and a grey goatee and a big high collar Ugh. and he looks very much like a magician. <laughs> well, look, I, I will say that... Uh, I said it, I've said it before, I was right about Pete Evans going full on off the deep mm-hmm. end when he lost his contract with My Kitchen Rules. I said he's just going to go full ball mental now, and he has. I've sort of been charting his decline into crazy QAnon, and he's gone full QAnon mm-hmm. now too. And also physically he's changing. He's grown this, like, weird handlebar moustache, and he's always, like, a bit... And he's looking extra thin because I guess he doesn't have to have mouthfuls of carbs on my kitchen rules mm. anymore. And like, he just looks like he's gone insane. <laughs> I'm a bit obsessed with it, but I'm on the case. Right. <laughs> I'll keep you all posted. But if I think if I watch Plandemic, I will smash my television. Like I, I it's can't. I only made stuff. it about 20 minutes into it and had to give up. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, okay. So I think that's all of our breaking news, which was pretty good considering it's only been 24 hours since we recorded. Yeah, not bad. Don't you love that one of my headlines this week was, I caught a bus. (laughs) (laughs) And that's your breaking news. Mine was I did a scuba diving course. (laughs) (laughs) F you. All right, that's it. Breaking news. Okay. I can relax now. Um, so I'm calling ready for this. this one One Foot from Stardom, although I did almost call it <laughs> Whose Leg Is It Anyway? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do a colon, a colon like po- if it's a movie poster, One Foot from Stardom, colon, Whose Leg Is It Anyway? <laughs> parentheses, The Foot in Barbecue Story <laughs> by Jacob Stanley. In a world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In a world where people find feet in abandoned storage lockers, <laughs> only one man, super tanned, super handsome, qualified at scuba, cricket powder consuming Adonis, Jacob Stanley, can tell us the story of the abandoned foot. Okay, take it away. Okay, let's break this down. So we will start with the guy who actually found the foot. And this happened in about 2007, okay. like I said. His name is Shannon Wisnant. He identifies as an entrepreneur <laughs> Wait, and an entertainer. Shannon Wis... 
Shannon Wisnant. Yes. That's a great name. And he is a great character as well. I challenge you to watch footage of him and not immediately think this is Eric Cartman grown up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Okay. The way he talks, he's got this sort of croak in his voice and he's... Eh, I'm Shannon Wisnant. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um, And as an entrepreneur, his business model was basically to buy and trade items that he could then sell on for a profit. And he would quite frequently go and buy the contents of random storage units that had been abandoned and were up for auction. Yes. Have you... This is this is a stupid question, but have you seen the show Storage Wars? I was going to ask. I have not. I've looked up what the premise is. Yes. It's amazing. It's basically that. You go and you buy storage lockers, but you're not allowed to see what's inside them when you buy mm. them. So that's the gamble. Like, so people are, it's like an auction and someone's like 500 and you're like 550. And then it's like, what if I win this auction, pay $550 and it's empty? Like, so you never know what you're going to get, which is why it's an amazing television show. Mm-hmm. And it is all oh, people that talk <laughs> like this. <laughs> Proper redneck hillbillies. Um, So, yeah, the reason that these uh, items, these units go up for auction is because of the fact that the renter hasn't actually paid their rent for a certain amount of time. And so the company needs to get all the crap out of there, recoup their losses for the rent that they haven't been paid as well. Um, Typically, it's worth noting here, although I don't want to foreshadow too much. Commonly, when people find personal items like photographs or memorabilia or that sort of thing, they will actually give it back Mm. to the original owner. It's sort of the goodwill, unwritten contract that people have. Anyway, Shannon went to this auction in 2007 in September, bought the contents of this unit, and Mm. right at front when he started unloading the unit that he'd purchased was this barbecue grill and he didn't open it at the time. He just chucked it on the back of his van. All he was really interested in was all the tools that were down the back of the storage unit because he Uh, figured that they could probably be profitable. Loaded everything into his truck, went home, unloaded. Final thing that he unloaded was the grill and he figured he could maybe get a couple of bucks for it even though it looked a little bit beaten up. He opened it up to see what sort of condition the inside was in and saw what he thought at the time was a piece of old driftwood. And then he picked it up and it was way too heavy to be driftwood. And he sort of turned it around in the dull light. And in his words, it started dripping down his arm. And he yelled for all of his family to come and see. And, of course, it was kind of hard to convince them that he had found a human mummified foot in this grill. But then in front of them, he counted the five toes and the five toenails. And sure enough, he'd found a human foot that had been mummified and put inside this grill. Toenails. It still had toenails. (laughs) Is there, can, are there pictures of it? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Can I go look right now? Uh, yes, and we will post some okay, on just the gist Instagram. <laughs> oh, how, there's no doubt that that's yeah. a foot. <laughs> it looks like a foot. I, when you said driftwood, I thought you meant just like a brown kind of something, but that is a foot. Mm-hmm. It looks like a yes. foot. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all right. Nuts, right? Oh, my God. And Oh, my God. Okay, so, 
keep obviously going. he went into quite a flap and he called 911 and told them, I got a human foot. I got a human left foot. My name's Shadow Wiznat and it's plum nasty. It got me grossed out. <laughs> I got a human leg foot. <laughs> plum nasty. So the cops came around immediately and they weren't really sure what to do do with this foot. They had no indication that there was any sort of foul play going on and so they just took the leg well, away. Well, how is there not foul play? It's a foot in a barbecue. You'll find out. They just weren't sure oh, okay. what was going on. Um, so they took yeah. it to the funeral home because they weren't really equipped to suddenly store a mummified human foot that wasn't connected to any sort of crime. Of course, the local news found out about it and they swarmed and then loads of media attention came from the national outlets as well because this was just such a bizarre story. And then Shannon's lifelong dream really did start to come true because he was appearing on all of these news channels as the foot finder. And... (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. It was plum nasty. I found a human leg foot. (laughs) So he was giving these really great sound bites to all these media outlets. So people wanted more yeah. and more of him. And he really thought, okay, this is finally my ticket. I have always wanted to be a movie star, a TV star. I'm going to end up buried in money. Um, he'd had a bit of a false start a few years ago. He really thought that his springboard to fame was going to be when he appeared on the Jerry Springer show on an episode called Mistress Mayhem. Stop <laughs> yes. it. Like... I love him. He had been spending his entire life pitching to become a <gasps> household name, a really... Shannon Weasney. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Anyway, from the moment that he handed the leg over to the cops, he was very clear saying, mm. this leg is mine. I paid for it. I have a receipt. It is my leg. <laughs> I have a receipt for my mm-hmm. leg. <laughs> He yes, held on to that nice there. and tightly. Yes. Um, now, it didn't yeah. take too long before they could actually identify the owner of the leg, who was a man who was yeah. living and well, in inverted commas, a <gasps> guy called John Wood. No, I'm sorry. You mean the owner of the leg as in a man walking around with one Correct. leg because that's his yes. leg. Not he owned the storage unit. It, the leg is from his body. It was his storage unit and it was his <laughs> left leg. Yes. How could he leave? How can you get behind on the rent for your leg? Okay, keep going, keep going, keep going. So, back in 2004, this guy called John Wood had lost his leg Mm -hmm. in a small plane accident that happened. Um, It was a little four seater Cessna that his family owned. I would never get in one of those for any money in my life. They always Mm. crash. You always see on the news that those little light planes have crashed. It doesn't seem to take much to take them down. And so John had gone up with his father, who was the pilot. Ironically, this was just their final joyride in the plane, which they had actually sold and were handing over to the new owners the following day. Mm. So they were all excited to go on their final flight. Which, Mm -hmm. of course, tragically ended in the plane nosediving down to the ground when they hit a weather front and all the engines stalled. Once they landed, John, two of his family members were very, very badly injured. John's father, Tom, was um, shaken so much that he went into cardiac arrest and he died in John's (gasps) arms. 
And like I said, everyone was very badly injured, John being the worst of them because he had to have his left leg amputated. And he mm-hmm. felt this crippling sense of guilt because he was the co-pilot and he felt that he should have been able to mm. do something to intervene and save everyone and save his father. And so from the mm-hmm. beginning, when he found out that he was going to have to have his leg amputated, he was very clear, yeah. I want to keep my leg so that I can turn it into a shrine to remember my father. <laughs> okay. okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm not allowed to laugh, <laughs> but also... What the f- yeah. John? Uh, <laughs> like, come on, come on, buddy. By the end of the Just get a nice story. A photo in a yeah. frame. A photo yeah. in a frame. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We'll find out a little bit more about where his motivation came from, but he was just so determined. It is my leg and I want it back and I'm going to use it for this very specific purpose. And this was not something that the hospital had encountered before because legally you can request your own amputated parts to keep as long as you don't have a communicable disease. Um, But they just hadn't encountered this before. So it was a pretty hard sell and people were trying to talk him out of it. Finally, he managed to convince one of his buddies who worked in the mortuary at the hospital to get him the leg. And he expected that what he was going to get, what he had requested, the order that he had put in was just the bare bones. He wanted the skeleton of his leg that he could use to make the shrine. Oh, well, I'm sorry, but you can't put in a request for how you want your body part given to you, the order he had put in. They chopped it off and that's what it is. (laughs) What did he want it? Like, oh, okay. And that was what he got. He got the whole leg delivered to him in a white plastic bag, the tendons, the muscles, the toenails, everything. And he took it home. He tried to strip it himself. Because he just wanted the bones, but no matter how (laughs) drunk he got, he just couldn't bring himself to actually tear the flesh away from his own leg. And so... So he kept... Okay, okay, let's just paint (laughs) that picture a little. He kept getting drunk and attempting to tear the flesh from his own amputated leg. Correct. Yes. Holy but Moira Rose. Oh my god. <laughs> oh yeah. That is a terrible thing to picture in your it's, mind. Okay. It's a grim But he couldn't do no. it because it was too I, I mean you couldn't do it on any leg, let alone your own. Yeah. Mm. And also there's that psychological thing of when they say when people have had uh, limbs amputated, particularly legs, they get that phantom yes. pain, like their brain still thinks they can feel a leg mm. there and still thinks they can feel pain in that yep. leg. So if you're looking at that leg, tearing flesh mm-hmm. off it, knowing it was once your leg, I wonder if your brain is thinking, I can feel feel yeah. that. I wouldn't be surprised. Now, it's worth mentioning here maybe that he was sent home like a lot of people are in American hospitals with like a whole big jar of Oxycontin and he was already a recovering addict. He'd been a few years sober when he actually got into the plane, Um, but he just had this massive relapse. So he was combining a lot of alcohol with a lot of um, opioids. And that stuff messes you up. I remember after my weight loss surgery back in 20, God, I think it was 14 now, 
they gave me a massive bottle of liquid oxycodone because you can't have any solids and it was meant to last me like two weeks and I was I think I finished it in two days because I could like I was just like oh my god like you just you drink it and it's like your whole body sinking into a warm bath and it's like you're floating through space and it's really relaxing. And then when it wears off, you're like, oh, I want that yeah. again. Like it's really like I, I can understand how people yeah. get like addicted to it. It's so dangerous. And he was saying it was like it became a competition with himself. How high can I get each day? And I can I get myself so high enough to dangerous. cut the flesh off my own leg? Oh, mm. God. Anyway. <laughs> He never reached the point where he could actually do it, so he was keeping it in his freezer just as a temporary solution while his life was really just spiralling out of control. He was an alcoholic dealing with this trauma. He was very badly addicted to these drugs as well. We definitely have PTSD and, like, it, okay, so that makes more sense as this wasn't a decision made by someone in their no, right mind. No. Like that's when you're like, okay, now it makes sense that he's doing this crazy yep. thing. Okay. And so he was living with his family at this time, but he started stealing from them. So they had mm-hmm. kicked him out and he wasn't able to pay his own bills. And so when his electricity yeah. bill was cut off. Oh, is he sorry? Uh, like, I'm imagining 40s yeah, or something. Yeah, late 30s, early 40s. Yeah, okay. Yeah. He hadn't paid the bill. His electricity was cut off. And so his freezer immediately stopped working. And so oh, no. he panicked. I think this might be one of my favourite twists in this story. The only solution he could come up with was to take the leg to Hardy's, which is a fast food restaurant that you might have heard of. It's the same as Carl's Jr. Yeah, burgers, yeah. burgers. Um, handed yeah. it over to his friend who worked there and said, please, 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 can you store this in your freezer just temporarily while I come up with a solution? And she agreed and she took the leg and she put it in the freezer next to the sausage biscuits. More than willing to help out a friend who needed it. But the manager found out. The manager, of course, demanded that that thing get out of here immediately. And so she called up John and he came and picked up his own leg through the drive through window. <laughs> Stop mm-hmm. it. Stop it immediately. And this was his... They better have, like, triple, quadruple, times one million steam cleaned, hospital grade bleach, burnt the whole restaurant down and rebuilt it, cleaned that freezer because no, no. If you're ever in Maiden, North Carolina and you want to go visit the Hardys there, just um, ask them some questions about their hygiene procedures, yes. While he was picking it up through the drive-thru, he was like, oh, well, while I'm here, a cheeseburger and a chocolate shake. <laughs> You know, why not? <laughs> Two birds. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm sure they had a heck of a deal going on. All right. So this is the point where he realizes. <laughs> a burger, a shake and a leg. $6.95. <laughs> Make it a large. Super size. Oh, God. 
Um, so he realized at this point, okay, I can't freeze the leg. I'm going to have to come up with a better solution until I can get this thing stripped back. So he decided he was going to do a home mummification job. And like I said, he has this friend, Dwayne, who worked in the morgue at the hospital and he convinced yeah. Dwayne to give him some embalming fluid. So he got the embalming fluid, used it to soak the leg for a few days, basting it like a turkey. And then when he felt like there was enough embalming fluid in there, he just needed to dry it out. So he wrapped the leg up in the fly screen that he tore off his front door, wrapped it up like a little cigarette, put it in a possum trap, a little cage thing, and put it up in a tree where it had direct sunlight all day, every day for six months. And voila, bing, bang, boom, he had his own home mummified leg. He did look like in the photo, uh, like beef jerky. It looked like he jerkied his own leg. Mm -hmm. He jerkified it until he could bonify it. Yes. Oh, my God. Mm. Okay. Okay, keep going. <laughs> so this is how the leg came into existence. How did the leg come to okay. end up in the grill in the storage unit? Yes, this is what I would like yeah. to know. And also I feel like if his friend works in the morgue, could he not have, or even just, I suppose he didn't have any money. Because so I was going to say, he could just go to a funeral home and say, can I pay you guys to mm. do this for me? Or uh, uh, <laughs> being okay. quoted and it was going to be $15,000. Oh, yeah. okay. So that's totally out of his price yeah, range absolutely. to get his leg skeletized. Yeah. Um, because he couldn't even pay his own rent. So naturally, yes. he got evicted. When he got evicted, he then had no choice but to put all of his stuff into storage, which he did, um, yeah. including... Well, look, he's a fairly industrious man putting it up in the tree like that. That's smart. He, yeah. I don't know how he managed Miss to research guided. it, but he made it yeah. work. <laughs> It's like some poor little 65-year-old librarian at the public library turning the computers off at the end of the day and there's, like, all these tabs open about how to mummify, like, cut-off body parts. Oh, God. So his most valuable possession that needed to go into storage obviously was the foot. So he put the foot into the grill, which he figured would keep it fairly dry um, because there'd be air circulating. Mm -hmm. He put the grill front and centre in the storage unit because it was the the treasure that he was trying to protect. Um, But then, of course, he stopped paying the bill for the storage unit. His mum agreed to pay it for three months, but then she said enough is enough. And so he reached a point where he just hadn't paid his bill for a certain amount of time. And so the owners had no choice but to put the contents up for auction. And that was how Shannon Wisnan came to buy the contents of the shed. John Wood probably thought, given the goodwill rule about giving people personal belongings back, that, that well, A, that someone would adhere to that rule, but also B, no one's going to be interested in keeping the foot anyway. No. Like, why would they? I'm sure is what he mm. thought. But then comes along Mr. Shannon Whitney. Now, not only did Shannon desperately want to be famous and desperately wanted to find a way to just burst onto the scene, um, he also knew John because they had gone to school together. And he bore a bit of a grudge against John because John grew up as the local rich kid. Tom Wood ran 
the big furniture factory in town where most of the people worked. And so Shannon sort of saw John as like the Regina George, the male version of Regina George in his life. John had grown up with a roller skating rink in his basement and they had a go-kart track in their backyard and the kids all had their own motorbikes and they had these massive elaborate birthday parties. Kids like that? Mm. Like, get effed, kids Mm. like that. I mean, they had their own private plane that they could just play with whenever they wanted to. Like, pretty affluent family from the deep south. And Shannon resented the fact that he had never been allowed into John's circle of friends and he had never been invited around to John's house. And so when he found out... the tables have uh turned. (laughs) You could say the shoes on the other foot, but it's been cut off. (laughs) But did he have a leg to stand on? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So once Shannon found out this belonged to John, he really, really doubled down on making sure that he maintained ownership of the foot. He branded himself as the footman of Maiden. What a bizarre form of revenge Mm. on your bully. Because everybody's like, oh, one day I hope, like, I see my bully and, you know, he's, like, homeless and I walk past with the Chanel bag. And imagine, like... Revenge comes to you over your bully, and it's in the form of getting there. Yeah. <laughs> you just feel like, okay, universe, it's not how I wanted it, but I'll take it. <laughs> and he took it and he ran with it, and he did everything that he could to use it. He kept ringing up every single radio station that he could get a connection with so that he could tell his story. He saw this as his road to fame that was paved with gold. He set up a roadside attraction, which had been his intention from the very beginning. He had handwritten signs all over the town (laughs) saying, barbecue foot smoker this way when you arrived. (laughs) Oh, my God, I would die to see that. I would die. That would be the best. He'd done a bit of styling, so he'd poured some fake blood over the top of the smoker grill thing and he'd put a metal human skull replica on top of it and he was charging adults $3 and children $1 to come and see just the smoker, just the smoker. He didn't have the foot anymore. The foot was still at the funeral home, uh, but he was charging people this fee to come and just take a look at the smoker and the man who found it. So he was really milking those 15 minutes. Still smart. I mean, he's an entrepreneur. He doesn't have the foot, but he can still make a little bit of dosh. Mm. But then, okay, so tell me now, um, when does John be like, give me my foot Mm -hmm. back? Relatively soon. And his motivation is mostly because the media were asking about it. So Shannon was doing all these things to try to egg the media on and, you know, build the story up as much as he could. But people were sort of losing interest a little bit. Um, Anyone who was coming to see the grill was let down that they didn't actually get to see the foot. And so John, that's when he got into his, sorry, Shannon, that's when he got into his head. John has screwed me over here because he said that he wants the foot back. He hasn't actually come and claimed it yet. And I can't actually build this business that I'm meant to be able to build with the property that I bought. And so that's when he started going on this rampage to get the foot back for himself and trying to garner. Why hadn't John claimed it yet if it was at the funeral home? Just... 
waiting to be picked up by its rightful when owner. When they contacted him, he was in Atlanta, Georgia. So it took him a while oh, couldn't get yeah, there. to travel back. Okay. But the media somehow were able to get in touch with him and he made it clear my intention is to come and get the foot, but no, I don't want any media attention. I mean, you can probably mm-hmm. guess because he was high so much of the time. He didn't actually want cameras on him. Yeah. Also, the foot is, it's a, you know, it's all to do with his dead father and a tragedy and he's out of his mind and yeah Yeah. you would just be like please leave me alone so to put it to bed once and for all John told all of these different reporters that were getting in touch with him, look, I'm going to go pick up the leg on this date at this time. You can all meet me in the car park and I will give one statement, one statement only, and then I want this thing to just be done with forever. Who do you think showed up? to (laughs) Shannon Whitney. Yes. I'm Shannon Whitney. And at first... Oh, my God. Showdown in the car. Yeah. So Shannon tried to sort of start a fight by turning up and glaring and posturing and trying to get an argument to kick off, but John just wasn't biting. Um, so then he pulled John off screen and was like, look, we can be rich and we can be famous. Come on. Get on board. <laughs> and so he really wanted to cut a deal for them to have joint custody over the leg. And, you know, uh, Shannon wanted it for special events, holidays, in particular Halloween, any Black Friday that came around. Yeah. Um, So he believed that there was a world in which they could actually share. Now, they walked away from that encounter with Shannon believing that they'd come to an agreement and John believing that there was no agreement whatsoever. And we don't really know whose story to be true, but they walked away from it and... John had the leg. Shannon really, okay. really wanted it back, though. Why Shannon let him take it? Because at this point, I mean, I guess legally it's John's. Whose leg is it legally? I mean, it's John's leg, but Shannon bought it. Yes. And so this is where then the court case escalates from. Yes, because there was a debate across the country because finder's keeper's law means if you buy a chest of drawers, you own what's inside the drawers. If you buy... Lose the sock. Everyone knows that's the rule. (laughs) So, you know, people could see both sides of the story. No erases to infinity plus one. (laughs) Legally binding. Everyone knows this. Legally binding, verbal signature, etc. So Shannon had gone ahead and ordered all of this merch to be made. He had T-shirts, he had hats saying friend of the footman, foot smoker barbecue. Um, he kept going on radio. He kept going on TV. He was trying to goad John into engaging in a dialogue so that it could keep getting more and more attention. John, all he wanted to do was build this shrine to his father. He harbored a lot of resentment to his mother because his mum, when she got um, Tom's ashes, she just put it in a cardboard box in a cupboard in the kitchen and left it there. So John was really bitter that Tom didn't have any sort of memorial and this became his driving purpose to build this memorial. John still wasn't responding to anything from the press until Shannon just kept escalating and escalating the provocation, um, saying really awful things about John's father Tom in the media, um, saying things about 
Shannon reminds me of, or who I'm imagining, Tiger King. Yes. Yeah. This is very, very, very Tiger King. If you love Tiger King, you need to watch the documentary Finders Keepers. It was released in 2015. um, (laughs) And that is your starting point to really get to know these characters a bit better. Describing him and his obsession with attention and media and fame. And it's all very Tiger King. Yes. Okay. Um, Very Joe Exotic. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He was saying things like he was born with a silver crack pipe in his mouth and he couldn't understand why John (laughs) wouldn't accept the offer that Shannon had generously made to give John $42 a month for 13 months for his leg. Come (laughs) on. That's nearly 550 bucks. It did draw John out. Finally, he appeared on TV just so that he could humiliate Shannon by saying, I have the leg. I'm never, ever going to show it to anyone because that would be in very poor Mm -hmm. taste. And that then was his sort of full stop final word on the matter. But it stayed in the news. It just kept being dragged out and dragged out as Shannon launched, you know, lawsuits against John and the media just sort of couldn't get enough of it, especially the sort of local media circuit. And it all, of course, started to backfire on Shannon, which was incredibly frustrating for him because when he saw that John was being made out to be the victim and the good guy, Shannon was like, no, I'm the one who's been hard done by. This is my property. I paid for it. And I'm the star. I'm the one who's meant to be getting all of the attention. You're all meant to be on my side. So he... Again, just kept going and going and going and trying to ride this road to fame. Meanwhile, John started to really see that there is a bit of an upside getting media attention because getting the attention, getting the appearances means getting money. And what does money buy? Drugs. Drugs. And so he was savvy enough to realise these offers will keep coming in as long as I refuse to show the leg because every single news outlet gets me on and tries to give me the sweet talk to get me to actually show them the leg because that would be ratings gold. That's a long piece to play. That's it. Once he's played it, like, it's done. Exactly. He was keeping his ace up his sleeve. All the while, his family was just getting more and more and more frustrated with him because he just kept stirring up all of this family trauma that they had and he was still abusing drugs so badly and they hated the fact that he was getting all this money that he was, of course, blowing on drugs. It got more and more international attention and it really reached its peak at the stage when a German TV show brought Shannon and John over from North Carolina to Hamburg so that they could appear on the German equivalent of the Jay Leno show. And um, they could each bring one person with them. John chose to bring his drug dealer with him because he was really scared he wasn't going to be able to get hooked up over there. He took a Oh, that's really tragic. Took a copious amount of crack while he was over there and then also the producers got him really, really drunk so that then they could finally bribe him with enough cash to pose for pictures with the leg. He refused to appear. What was this? Uh, 2008. Awful people. 
And so he did it. He, he did. posed. So they finally got the scoop and um, I have no idea how he managed to get that leg across international borders, but somehow he did and there's <laughs> photographic evidence of it. He woke up the next day and was really, really ashamed of himself. And yes, he had sort of played his ace and his family were disgusted about it. And so they turned their back on him. He got back to America and his family had kicked him out once again. So he was homeless and he had no choice but to go and live under a bridge, which is what he went and did. He had the leg. With the leg? Yeah. And he was getting this attention, but essentially he was dying and he very easily could have died there. But he was thrown a very unexpected lifeline in the form of a TV show that I'd never heard of before um, called The Judge Mathis Show. Have you heard of this? So think Judge Judy, but with a really sassy mm. black man who grew up on the streets and had been a part of a gang and had um, been to prison himself, but then turned his life around yeah. and became a judge. It's a really successful TV show. And this guy actually deserves his own Just the Gist episode one day, possibly. He's had an incredible life. He's well-respected. Show's been going for 21 seasons. Anyway... Judge Mathis got his show to reach out to Shannon and John and say, we want you guys to come on and the ruling in this case will be final. And um, you will not be able to then launch any sort of appeal. So for John, this was his way of saying, okay, it's over from this point onwards. Whoever wins, at least it's then just going to be over. So they were both flown out to record the episode. I think it was filmed in Chicago. And the episode itself is absolutely hilarious, which Shannon... Can you watch it on YouTube? Oh, my God, I'm going to. Shannon didn't expect it. Um, he thought for sure he was going in there and he was going to win a landslide. Um, But the whole thing just Mm -hmm. turned into a big laugh riot because Judge Greg Mathis could not help but mock the shit out of Shannon. (laughs) 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 And the fact that he, you know, he had two perfectly functional legs, which he actually didn't. His left leg, ironically, was crippled to a certain extent. Um, But... In the end, he made all this fun of Shannon. It makes for really great TV. The people who were there in the oh, audience were cackling. He sounds like a deplorable yes. person. So when you say they're making fun of him, I don't feel no, bad. not at all. When you watch the documentary, it will tug on your heartstrings a little bit when he talks about the fact that he grew up being very, very badly abused by his father. And I mm-hmm. think that he um, was never really taught what empathy looks like and feels like. Right. Um, yeah, okay. At the, But still. He was doing really, really awful, very, very selfish things. The other thing that will really um, tug at your heartstrings is the way that he treats his wife. And, yeah. I mean, in general, the way that a lot of the women in this story are sort of uh, used is really, really unfortunate. John's mum, John's sisters, Shannon's wife, Shannon's mum. Even in the South, gender dynamics. (laughs) Gender dynamics. <laughs> um, and so Shannon did kind of win. Judge Mathis ruled in Shannon's favor and said, all right, I will award you $5,000 in damages because your business didn't take off like you'd expected, but you cannot keep the leg. So John got to yeah. keep the leg. Shannon got the money, which, of course, the TV show actually pays for. Yeah. They pay for 
So Shannon got his moment in the spotlight, thrilled that he could be on TV. But what really matters is Judge Mathis took one look at John and recognised that he had a very, very serious addiction problem. Oh, good. Did he help him? He got the producer's legend. He arranged for John to be sent to the... Re, what's it called? The Ridgeview Rehab Facility, which is where they filmed oh. um, the Sandra Bullock movie Twenty Eight Days. Oh, yeah. I love that movie so yeah. much, and it's really fancy. And that's where like celebrities and super mm. wealthy people go to. The show paid for John to go there, where he did. Oh, that is so it's amazing, good. Right? He successfully detoxed, and he really embraced the program, and was determined to pull his life together. Oh. And he really saw this as a second chance, not only at his life, but to fulfill his purpose to build this memorial to his father. But he still couldn't afford to get the legs stripped of the mummified flesh. Then. Still with this leg, John. Okay. So yeah. someone in the community heard the story about it. She reached out to John and said, look, I'm a forensic veterinarian who also has a hobby of preserving dead animal skeletons and I want to help you out, buddy. So her name was Katie and she offered to strip the leg back to just the bare bones, free of charge, no hamstrings yeah. attached. And John handed over the leg to her, trusted that she was going to be able to just peel it off like beef jerky and get the toenail fungus off it. Um, He was very, very, very grateful. When she showed him the final product, she had encased the skeleton in lucite and... That, that looks cool. It, like, they do that at museums. Yeah. When you see an image of it, though, it doesn't necessarily look like a professional job. And Katie herself said, I really want the chance to do a do-over. And you can tell from John's reaction that he's really, really not thrilled. And so he does start to walk away and then he realises, you know what, I just need this to be over and my family just needs this to be over. So this is going to have to be good enough. Are you Googling it right now? He's looking like he's pretending That's to be John. happy. Oh, God. Oh, God. What's, what's she done? Oh, so she did it in the actual shape of a leg. Yeah. She tried to sculpt a calf muscle. Yeah, like I thought you meant she'd put it in like a display, like... No, she took some artistic freedom. As you can see, the bones... Oh, no, Katie, no. Not necessarily um, clean as you would want them to be or what he'd be imagining. Oh, no. And so... He looks like he's trying to, when you get a really bad present, and you're like, I love it. Yeah. (laughs) And obviously the camera crews were there and she'd been so generous to donate her time and energy to do this for him. And she was offering to do it again. And at first he said, okay, I'll give you another crack. But then by the time he got outside, he realized I need this to be done. And so he just went back in and said, look, I'll take it. And I will use it. My family just needs to be able to move on because at this stage he was really starting to reconnect with them and build some bridges. And um, in time, while he did still think, I'm just going to use this sort of imperfect leg to create this shrine, he started to realise the shrine is really (laughs) going to be meaningless. All my father ever would have wanted is for me to have a relationship with my family and be a functioning, responsible human being on this planet. And so that is going to be my way of honouring him. Do you think maybe now he's sober that he's thinking 
is making more sense. Shifted a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Hmm, yeah. That's surprising. So the manic isn't obsession it? moved away from the leg, and he then mm-hmm. started reflecting on how grateful he was to Shannon. The whole family is grateful to Shannon because if Shannon had been a normal person and just given the leg back to John, John probably would have died under yeah. a bridge. But instead, all of this lengthy Mm. battle is what ultimately led to John getting the help that he desperately needed and it saved his life. So Shannon and Shannon finding the foot became this incredible blessing for John and for his family, whereas Shannon could only look back on finding the leg as a curse because he never got the chance to live his dream, no matter how hard he tried. (laughs) He went on to appear on a reality TV show called Dukes of Haggle, and he thought that that was going to be his big break. <laughs> uh, see, I think it's kind of funny that he didn't embrace that whole saviour thing. Like, I assumed he'd be like, eh, yep. I'm like Jesus. Like, you know what I mean? He so had just lent so hard into being the footman that by the time... <laughs> Dukes of Haggle came around. They were interested in him coming and making a special guest appearance so that he could actually auction off a leg-shaped table lamp. Um, But he was the butt of the joke because he (laughs) thought, oh, yeah, the person who bought this bought it because they wanted to buy it from the footman. I'm the footman. And then the aside to the camera from the guy who purchased it was like, no, I just wanted it because it looks like a prop from a movie I love called A Christmas Movie. And... Shannon felt like he'd just been set up. He was absolutely devastated. He then continued to spiral. He became very, very unwell. Ironically, his left leg almost needed to be amputated at the time that the 2015 documentary Finders Keepers came out, which meant that he was actually too unwell to go to any of the premieres, any of the film festivals. Oh, his ultimate dream! He would have had the opportunity to walk the red carpet, but his left leg was playing up so badly that he was in the hospital. The irony. The The whole thing has felt like a Greek play from the very beginning in so many ways. Oh, my God. Anyway, he kept doing everything that he could to maintain the publicity he was getting from the documentary because it was quite successful. Mm -hmm. It won a whole bunch of awards. And so then um, he got a little high on the following he was getting on social platforms and announced in 2016 that he would be running for the president of these United States. Ah, yes. <laughs> I don't know how far he got with that campaign, but he did a bunch of radio interviews. Um, and then a few months oh, later, he died of a heart attack. <gasps> yes. Oh, really? Yes. So Shannon oh, well. is no longer with us. But John did go on to get married. He's still married to this day. Aw, John. He won the lottery and it wasn't an <gasps> enormous amount, but it was enough that he will never have to work again a day oh in his God, life. Oh, my God, I'm going to cry. I know. I'm going to cry. And so he decided that he was going to then dedicate his life to charity. So he stepped up as the coordinator for a recycling program in North Carolina. um, And he's helping to coordinate all these really great um, waste management efforts that are helping to make um, everything a bit more environmentally sustainable around that area. And to this day, he is using the leg in Lucite as a door stopper and nothing more. His life ended up so amazing. And you know what? 
it's all thanks to Shannon Wisnan. Shannon Wisnan on the Footman. The Footman. Oh, my God. Mm. Jacob, that was sensational, my friend. Well. (laughs) That is like. (laughs) Do you know I'm going to dinner tonight <laughs> because I'm in Adelaide and I'm finally out of quarantine and I will be telling that story. That was amazing. Well, I gave you just the gist. If you really want to get to understand these folks, you need to watch the documentary Finders Keepers. It is on Amazon mm. Prime and you can also um, pay Google Play to watch it. I think it's like four bucks mm-hmm. or something. Do yourself a favour. It is such a good watch. Oh, and I'm absolutely going to leave this recording and go and find that um, judge What's the Judge guy? Mathis. Judge something. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go find that episode. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go on YouTube and just watch every single um, Shannon Wisnet clip I can find. Yes. <laughs> um, rest in peace. Uh, I'll rest in peace. Also rest in peace, Footman. Post um, a couple of podcasts that Shannon went on to help um, promote the film. He did get mm-hmm. to see it. He gave it an 8.8 out of 10 because he believed it could have been longer <laughs> and he could have been in it more. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. Um, and I'll post a couple of other articles that you might like to read through as well, especially giving an update on where John is at today with his family and his life. Oh, my God. I need a lie down. <laughs> yeah.